The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. So, hi everybody. It's nice to be here with you all. How many here people are here for the first time tonight? Raise your hands if you don't mind. Welcome. Feel free to connect with me or Jalan, our program host, afterwards if you have any questions. So I'll offer a reflection on truthfulness, and then we'll have some time to discuss truthfulness, this uh, love of the truth or um, interest in seeing clearly, wanting to understand in a deep way, not being not being content with superficial answers. This can be one motivation for meditation, for being interested in spiritual teachings, having some sense that there's something to understand here. There's uh, something that the mind is misunderstanding that's getting us into trouble, repeating patterns in our lives that aren't helpful, acting out in ways that doesn't feel good in retrospect. And uh, this value of truthfulness is one of the ten paramis, which are a list of beautiful qualities of mind that support us as we practice mindfulness, become more sensitive, commit more to a life of awareness. And uh, one way that they're described, the paramis, are as qualities that uh, elevate us or sort of give us a standpoint something to stand on, to get perspective on the floods of our life. This is one of the images used. I like that image of the floods. It really rings true in a very direct way. You know, what the mind does in its free time or you know, just how we, we get swept away in, in thought and uh, realize somewhere in the middle, oh, I didn't choose to do that, to be worrying about that or complaining about that or resentful about that, but we're swept. And part of being swept is we don't know we're swept and we're fully on board with that, in that. Um, yeah, not, not quite being aware. So these um, paramis are sort of a counterweight to just that very ordinary habit of getting caught in the floods, these deep patterns, floods towards being caught up in pursuing um, success and pleasure in different ways. There's four floods, that's one of them. Um, the flood of 
That's the second one. Sensual, sensual desire. Um, well, one of them is views, how we get caught up in views and being right. I thought I'd written them down. Oh, I did. Here it is. So, yes, sensuality. So just how, how many of our thoughts are actually about um, things that we want. And this can be even in the realm of relationships and just, just being a social, sexual animal. Then we think about that. We think about how to get what we want and how to... So this is all very normal, but we can really be swept along by it, caught up in it, spend you know a whole day you know, just uh, online shopping for the perfect thing. I mean, yeah, because that's just... The mind gets in, swept along by that um, idea that if I get this, then I'll be okay. And then the flood of becoming, which is a little more subtle. It's uh, becoming someone and the sense of ground that we get from that. Oh, when, when this happens, this success in my life, then I'll feel more real. And this can be around really anything that we identify with. Oh, I, once I do my to-do list or read those really great books I've been meaning to read. Becoming, becoming anyone. And so that's another one of the floods. We can see the mind or even you know, being right. You know, the views one goes with the becoming one. They're tied, being the person who's right, and when we're remembering what we should have said, because we wanted to be that, that person. So views is the third one, where we can really be sure of something, and that will just carry us along. And then the fourth is ignorance, which is really underpinning all the rest. Just like not connecting. It's when we just connect, even just for a moment, to the nature of the mind and body as it's unfolding, then we have more perspective. But swept along in one of these floods, they all have their own coherence. And it's just like a story that has its own plot and there's always more to add to the story. So anyways, that's sort of the context of the floods. And the paramis are a way that we can feel some ground that uh, isn't tied to those floods. Those floods are all ways where the self is trying to get some ground. If I just get that thing, if I just um, become that person, just work really hard in three years, then I will be that person who doesn't have that anymore. Becoming and non-becoming can be quite tied, not wanting to be that person. Or around views, if I just read more books around Buddhism 
and then and I know all the maps, I know how it works. Anyone asks me a question about anything, any problem, I've got the Buddhist answer. It's just just let go. <laughs> Even that can be a view, you know. Just a view that then we, we stop being sensitive because we have a view. As if a view, as if an idea could ever really, you know, give us a really fulfilling sense of peace. But it's just a thought. Even the most wise thought, if it's not something that's being lived, we can get attached to, and then we can get into an argument with someone else who has a different view, and then that doesn't lead to peace. So these qualities of uh, the paramis, they're uh, beautiful qualities. They, um, they strengthen the mind and sort of you know, rise up out of being tossed around, being agitated. Because they're inherently beautiful and um, they, they give us a sense of satisfaction that isn't doesn't have to be tied to the floods. They kind of have their own intrinsic gratification. So I'll just read the list of ten. And this is one list, and there are other lists, but really the idea is beautiful qualities. We could all probably think of when we, you know, someone that we really respect and the qualities we see them manifesting in a natural way. But this list is generosity, morality or integrity, someone who's just, you know, that they're not going to break their commitments. They, they really are sensitive about harming and not harming. They have that commitment. Um, renunciation, the willingness to let go. To you, you know, that would be nice, but I don't need it. And I can let that go. And the simplicity of mind that results from that, from, um, yeah, being willing to put down one of those floods. And wisdom, which uh, is connected to truthfulness, so I think we'll touch into wisdom, but it, I like uh, one definition of wisdom as know-how. So just even that sense, you know, as a kid, if you're playing with blocks and you see the, the round block goes in the round hole and the triangle block goes in the triangle hole, it's like that, you know, very natural love of learning, of seeing how things work, cause and effect, and uh, especially in terms of what is useful in life, what's skillful, what leads to peace, what leads to connection, and the opposite, what leads to the mind getting caught up, getting involved in quarrels and arguments and just spinning its wheels in a way that after an hour really doesn't seem like much useful has come of that. And then wisdom understands both just through observation and through cause, trial and error how uh, agitated energies can be released, can be met in a way that's um, not feeding them. 
and then energy. I think that's an interesting one. How there's a lot. I think uh, we really like energy. We don't like feeling depleted or tired or dull. Uh, so it's a it's a natural value. It's a natural quality. And energy can come with different states of mind. Um, but the energy that comes with you know, any of these qualities, you might already sense you know, with generosity that it requires some energy to just make that extra effort to connect with someone or to offer something. You have to think of it, oh yeah, I could give that, I could whatever. So it's just that very natural, um, not an energy that's sort of forced from clinging, but just the natural energy that human beings and all living things have, that natural vitality, um, especially when we're spending less of it in unskillful ways. There can just be the energy of being aware and the, mom- the the energy can really it can really feel like a real presence, a real power, and it can be a potential power where we don't neurotically feel like we have to do something because wisdom's understanding. Well, in this moment, maybe there's nothing to do other than just be present, be sensitive, but there's still that energy. So that's energy, and then there's patience, which is really a beautiful one. Yeah, how much patience we need to develop all of these paramis, just to do anything, really, that takes any effort and where there's any amount of resistance. Patience allows us to keep going even when it's difficult, to bear with yeah, unpleasantness or resistance because we have some goal that we trust and we don't, we're not in control of how all the conditions unfold, how fast you know, we get there. But it's just that, yeah, like staying in it one more moment. Sometimes I... I feel that way in different moments. But it's, it's not like grudging. It's like, yeah, I, I can. And so I am staying in one more moment. And it's like there's some burn there. There's some friction there um, from the mind that would rather be impatient. Rather just, but we're, we're appreciating that, that value it burns up uh, unskillful qualities, impatience, aversion, wanting things always to go our way. And then truthfulness, which I'll share some more thoughts about. But yeah, just that. Wanting to understand, wanting to really be straightforward with ourselves and with others honoring the truth, respecting the truth, 
things are so confusing anyways. It's like really not trusting deception of ourselves or others, not trusting distraction, but um, that, yeah, that even no matter what the truth is, there's some courage here too, like willingness to see things as they are because it's how they are, no matter what that is, because we'd rather, because the truth is the only solid place to stand on. Otherwise, it's just fabrications. I mean, how much of our thinking is just speculation and fabrication? And, you know, it's like, whoa. So any, you know, just that sense of any moment where there's just a connection with simple mindfulness. Oh, the body feels like this. Oh, a step feels like this. Like, oh, thank God there's something real here that, you know, that the mind can connect with. That's sort of this valuing of truthfulness. And then resolve or uh, resolution. So we have, through these paramis, through practice, we sense something beautiful in teachings we hear and people we respect. And that motivates us. And so we're... um, willing to make effort and we're willing to to make commitments even though we know that we're we're on the path we're like you know we're not always sure we have doubt but we just put as much of our confidence in wherever in our moments of clarity we've seen you know oh yeah that I really trust that you know I don't have any better ideas so I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to um, resolve, use that, that force. And then there's kindness, which is really so essential and so inherently trustworthy, even though you know, we may have our doubts culturally. You know, is it being a, um, a doormat? Or can you really you know, also be... Um, Stand up for yourself and for while still being kind, but it's really uh, that inner sense of the heart not um, not hating. You can say not investing in that force of the mind that divides, that pushes away, that contracts, but this basic acceptance. That just feels good, and you know we all have different experiences with this, and um, so I think it's really useful just to find, you know, even when I say that word kindness or other words, benevolence, or see if we can feel that some memory of that, because that's really it should feel like a release because. It's the release of judgment. It's the release of needing to be perfect or needing to be anyone in particular, which can be so omnipresent, we might not even notice it until someone's like just kind or, or we're that to ourselves. Like, yeah, just that basic 
you're, you're a being like me. I'm a being doing the best I can. It's not easy being a human being. And I care about that. And I'm willing to soften with that, let, it, let in that truth. So there's intimacy, there's listening in our own experience with, with practice, with mindfulness. We can sense when there's kindness there or when there's not. You know, We're being with the experience, but we want it to be a certain way or we don't like it. And then other moments where we really don't, care. The moment can do whatever it wants because we're investing in being here with it. So it's a release of expectation. It's really nice. <laughs> yeah, the Buddha talked a lot about kindness and metta and I think it's so, so needed. We can't get enough of it and, and, and especially not as an idea like I should be kind because that's just judgment, comparing, but as a felt experience, what does that feel like? Just to give yourself a moment, you know, in a very embodied way, to relax can be an expression of kindness. So we all can find our own way there. And then the last is equanimity. Equanimity. It's 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 one of the qualities of kindness. Kindness has four flavors: basic goodwill, compassion, caring about suffering, being willing to be intimate with suffering, um, mudita or appreciative joy, being willing to be intimate with joy. Letting joy move and just feeling delight and appreciation for the goodness that we see. Not feeling like we need to hold ourselves apart from that, but there's goodness. There is. And then equanimity, which is the heart that can stay present, stay connected with the changes of life, with the uncertainties of life. Sort of that wise grandmotherly that's seen so much, grandmotherly heart that's seen so much, it's been touched by so much, and, uh, you know, things come and go, and their grandchild falls and stubs their toe, and they care, but their heart is is still more at peace. They understand this is how things are. It's the peace of understanding how things are. can't be other than the way it is right now. So it's a very deep quality that gives us the strength, the acceptance, oh, life is just like this sometimes, to keep us in the game, to keep us engaging in all these different ways. We're not as pushed around not as surprised. So 
I'd like to speak a little bit more about this value of truthfulness, loving the truth. Like that um, moment when we learn something and the joy there. And it can be, like I was mentioning, on very mundane levels. Um, it's like something that was obscured is being known, and we just have a little bit of a clearer picture. And with that bit of a clearer picture, we just feel more competent in negotiating life, being skillful. So the value, you know, as a parami, as a beautiful quality of the mind, you know, all these that I mentioned, feeling into how they, they give some dignity and some self-respect where we can sort of have a different vantage point on the floods. Well, I could be caught up in the flood or I could remember this beautiful quality of generosity. How, what would that look like now in this situation or kindness? And with truthfulness, it's interesting to think of it in that way as, this, as a beautiful value that we cultivate. And one of the easy ways to think about it and to practice it in that way is truthfulness um, with others in our speech. And uh, yeah, how we show up and what we say and what we don't say. And having this value of truthfulness, um, it sort of puts us at ease and can put other people at ease that we're not going to be deceiving. And it's not even, yeah, always that we know what to say or what to do, but but we really appreciate in our own minds and in our own hearts how confusing life can be. And so we're really, in our speech, really practicing being real about that and just noticing all... And then I think what's really great about, you know, kind of taking that on more, um, yeah, with more integrity or more intention to be truthful in our speech is that we notice all the ways that we, we, we shade the truth and, uh, and then we see what intentions that's coming out of, you know, wanting to be sure about something. How, how often do we say something we're not really sure about? And, yeah. What's that coming from? Wanting the ground of being someone who knows something And it can be nonverbal too. It's just like, you know, just showing up in a real way uh, around someone else where we're just seeing how often, for whatever reason, defensiveness or wanting something, wanting a particular outcome in a relationship, you know, we're just already, um, yeah, we're not really there for the moment and responding in a genuine way. You know, someone asks us about ourselves or our day, 
and we can just kind of have an automatic response as opposed to what is it like? It's like practicing mindfulness, practicing this deep sensitivity and listening with another person. And it's very fluid and creative and you know, we'll see how the mind always wants to sort of um, find a shortcut as opposed to just showing up and being real because we don't, you know, it's, it's scarier to show up and be real and not have a plan. But this is where the, you know, we're replacing the floods of sensuality, you know, sensual desire, wanting something, of views. Well, I don't have to think about my life because I got my view. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, just the strength of views. I was reading about, um, the, I forget what the name of the group was, but the Haley-Bopp comet came by and people just really believed that if they committed suicide, then they would hop on the comet. And this can be funny but or sad, tragic, but uh, what views do we have that keep us from just showing up? Self-views, I'm this way, I'm not that way, I could never do that. This is what people think of me. We don't know. The only way to really know anything about another person <laughs> is to, to be there. So this is like higher level practice, I find. So a lot of it with speech is um, having that value and seeing how we, you know, why, why is it so hard to just be real? And we see our fears, fear of being vulnerable, but it's like we don't want to assume it has to look one way or the other because um, it's always, wisdom is always also in play. In, in around speech, too, the Buddha said we should speak when it's true, when it's useful, when it's the right time, and our tone of voice should also be gentle, not harsh. So there's all these conditions. It's not just say whatever's on your mind all the time because it's true. It's like, how can we use speech yeah, in a way that's skillful and that supports connection And being willing to make mistakes, it's like I really appreciate having conversations about the Dharma, about my life, my mind with friends. Because, uh, yeah, some, I think we're so hardwired as social beings. There's something there. Like I'll almost always, when I'm having a, a sincere conversation, where I'm really showing up, you know, as best I can without much of an agenda of trying to get anything, but just checking in out of kindness with, each, with another person, I'll always learn something about my own mind in how I show up, how I articulate. And uh, often it's like seeing, oh, that's not quite true, 
or do I really know that? So it's useful. And it's a way of practicing um, non-attachment to this being, just to say, yeah, having a hard day, mind's doing this, getting caught up in this way. You know, you know, if I have a view that I am beyond that, or that that's embarrassing, as opposed to that's just what this mind is doing, so I'll get to see that, that attachment. And this is really, I've I found really healing, can be really healing, reading art or hearing a song. It's just that, or in any of these places where we, we hear the truth, someone's truth, and, uh, and it's just we feel a little bit more informed and... Um, Potentially, yeah, we, we understand. Oh, yeah. That may not be exactly my experience, but that's so interesting. Your mind does that. My mind does this. So that practice with speech is really <clears throat> coming out of this deeper desire, this deeper value of seeing things as they are, wanting to know the truth, willingness to hear, you know, even encouraging people to offer feedback if we've acted unskillfully, because we're not taking our ground, our stance, our refuge in being perfect or in denying what's hard to be with, because that takes energy. And it's just inherently stressful to have something that's kind of not being fully acknowledged. So as a more general value, it's this interest in the truth, like that, yeah, whatever we're looking for, in our lives, it has to be real. (laughs) We can have a great idea, we can read great books and see great movies, and they can be entertaining for a while, but it's just a story. So what about the stories that maybe we're living in, and how true are they? Are we willing to sort of test everything. There's kind of this courage, there's this kind of, um, yeah, sort of rebelliousness or not, con- not being content with superficial answers. Oh, life is about this. Like, if anyone's played the board game of life, remember, you know, like get married and have a job and then that's, the, that's life. Wow. So, yeah, it's, this can be this radical um, testing of everything. Nothing is exempt from our own 
interest and um, yeah, testing. So we're we're putting some faith or we're developing some confidence in the mind and heart's ability to know and see clearly, which is interesting because the mind is also subject to distortion and to delusion and thinking things are this way but they're not. So we have this value of truthfulness and we have a mind that is colored by aversion, by wanting. So often it's like we're waking up in the middle of something like, oh, I was believing that. Is it really true? So it's often not that we come to like a lot of clarity and we can articulate that, but there's just more humility around what we think we know and a willingness to just keep looking and seeing, even if it's contradicting what we think. There's a famous discourse called the Kalama Sutta um, where the Buddha is asked how we can know what to believe, basically. There's so much to believe. There's so many views and people that seem wise suggesting this, suggesting that. And the Buddha, I think, really usefully, really says that you shouldn't believe anything because someone that you trust has said it or because it's the social convention. But when you've seen for yourself directly that this is skillful, this leads to good results, then you can trust that. When you've seen that this leads to painful results, then you can trust that. So what have we seen? What's those growing insights that, that we have, those of us that, that are practicing? And it's very ordinary. It's very simple. How we learn what's painful. It's really <laughs> mindfulness, being intimate, being sensitive, cultivating a life and practices that stabilize the mind more so the mind can be more sensitive, then we just notice more the effects of the intentions, the actions.
So we just keep checking it out for ourselves. But like I was mentioning, it's it's easy to have you know some clarity and then sort of want to hold on to that as opposed to just a continual checking in. We always are trying to safeguard things for the future, but that's happening now as opposed to just showing up in this moment. So what we're, we are learning, but um, but we're learning letting go, which is always an action, and uh, and the release is experienced more deeply and registered more deeply in an embodied way. It's not like it's that complicated conceptually, Buddhism or letting go. So it's really, yeah, this is where it's kind of direct and contrary to so much of our conditioning which is to think about things and to have views that we then take as ground. As opposed to the experience of release or the experience of peace. Maybe it's not what we think it is. Maybe it's just release, a a moment of release, and then like we're trusting on a level deeper than something we can cling to. Because anything we can cling to, then we're clinging and we're, we're out of the flow of the present moment. I think what can be helpful in what I'm trying to articulate is um, Ajahn Suchito talks about three kinds of intelligence. So there's um, mind, conceptual intelligence, the ability to categorize, to uh, make patterns, understand cause and effect, and which is very useful. We need that. But it's one kind of intelligence, and it has that very specific mapping function. So there's also two other kinds of intelligence that tend to not be valued as much, I would say, in this society, generally speaking, of heart intelligence. The heart doesn't um, think. It feels, it, and it knows. It has knowledge. It knows oh, safety, threatened, interested, open, alert, or dull, not interested. And so the heart is also speaking all the time, registering you know, internal um, impacts and external impacts. It's like the simplest, or 
It's much more simple. It's like an animal, sensitive, and very connected to the heart intelligence is bodily intelligence. Just this living system that also understands things that we can't articulate with our thoughts. Like if I were to verbally instruct myself how to raise my hand and take a mouthful of food. Okay, we'll first lift it um, two inches and then turn a few degrees. But the body can do that effortlessly. Or walking, learning to walk. We learned how to walk. The body learned how to walk. So this sense of balance. The body also is always speaking and always listening and sensitive and you know, complaining often. <laughs> Stop stressing me out. <laughs> I'm in pain here. I feel stressed. I feel pushed. I feel pressured. I don't feel connected. I don't feel grounded. I don't feel listened to. I feel ignored. So these are somewhat overlapping the heart sense and the bodily sense. But just that, yeah, I appreciate the pointing of the the bodily intelligence as something that, at least for me, like can be so uh, ignored. But it really is kind of amazing when there's any pay any attention to it, and not just attention, but sort of really like feel oh, i'm i'm here i'm in this body and it and it's just doing its thing it's not like i'm telling it it's just it knows how to be a body how to move around it's expressing the heart how to look how to see So this um, truthfulness or um, seeing things as they are, we might articulate it. We can. I mean, we have to with each other using concepts, and that can be very helpful just to reorganize. Oh, yeah, I had that general view of things, but I think this is more, more in the right direction, like present moment awareness, kindness, it's a general guidepost. It's just sort of like these reminders. But the heart sense, where the, that's where, and the body sense, that's where the release, the peace, the love, if it's real, then we can feel it. so that we can check in in that way as opposed to if we find that we're getting caught up in thinking and trying to figure things out. This can really be our main practice all day long is just 
checking in with the heart sense and the body energetic sense because they are not as confusing and they, uh, they're more on the feeling sense of pleasant and unpleasant. And it's so relevant. It's not that it's like not relevant. It's, it's, we feel that. It's just a matter of bringing a kind attention and interest to it and a willingness to feel. I think some part of it is that a lot of us can be numbed out, just overwhelmed, pushed too hard, or have experienced difficulty, and, and there's just a lot of pain that's held in the body. And so naturally we might not want to feel that. But uh, we can start, or we can find places in the body in the heart, this is why I was mentioning like the memory of kindness and what that feels like. So we have to start from some place of resource or some part in the body that isn't in pain, just the sense of uprightness that gives us a sense of being present, being here, or movement, walking, and just that sense of movement that sort of shakes things up So we find a place that is healthy, that's resource, that's vital, and uh, we connect with that. We appreciate that. And then these other parts that are stuck energetically or emotionally, we're including them, but from that context, from that place of kindness or a whole, like the body as a whole. There's, there's still some energy, some flowing there. And the general encouragement is that then they communicate with each other and there's movement and release in the full awareness, the kind awareness of these stuck places. It's like water that melts very slowly, maybe, and, and it's probably uncomfortable. Otherwise, it wouldn't be an accumulation or a stuck place. But our relationship to it can be beautiful. It's where all these paramis can support us. So I think I'll leave my comments there and see if anyone has any thoughts, questions, Reflections from your own life on this interest in truth or interest in what's real or interest in investigation, how things work, why, you know, yeah, any of that. I'm also going to sit down because I uh, just feel really vulnerable here. My name's John, and um, the talk is mostly about truthfulness. I would feel untruthful if I left here not sharing the circumstances uh, that preceded coming here. I've spent the last 24-plus hours at um, Abbott Northwestern, where my wife is in the hospital. It looks like she has cancer. We won't know for sure and uh, likely metabolized. So um, I just um, 
my present moment is very uh, unreal. Um, and yet, I guess I want to share with your all fellow travelers that um, I feel really scared and sad, but whatever this is, the journey that we're on, I feel uh, it feels very, very precious to me. Thank you. Mm, thanks so much, John. It's so useful to hear the truth. Thank you for sharing it. Uh, it grounds us and, and it connects us. Yeah, thanks. Um, Ruth, Gabe, thanks for um, your talk. And uh, also, I thought you were um, going through the three types of knowledge, even though we've heard them in many ways, right? Mind, heart, body. But just hearing you go through them again, um, it really struck a chord with me because I've been trying to understand why I've been so uh, disoriented or very opposed to beginning any um, relationships with somebody that would involve a long-distance relationship. And, um, and I'm really starting to realize that a lot of that has to do with um, the unreality of that, you know, especially if it's the beginning of a relationship. Because I think in the past, when I was all in my head, you know, telling stories and stories and stories and obsessing. It's very easy to think you were in a relationship with somebody who lives on the other side of the state or on the other side of the country. But now that it's like, I really, like, it's like, what is my body feeling? What does my body want in a relationship? What is my heart feeling? What does my heart want in a relationship? I've just, I I just, it's, it's dawned on me. um, And I think this is true or true for now that, that uh, for me, there's no relationship unless the person is actually there, you know, with an open heart and, and a companion. So, um, I just feel like I'm much more grounded in that understanding uh, now. So thank you. Thanks for sharing. I'm Mike, he, him. And yeah, Gabe, I really like what you shared about the, heart intelligence or you might say like emotional intelligence and I've I've sort of experimented with this over the years um, Pema Chodron talks a lot about this about um, using pain like emotional or physical pain as an opportunity um, for heart opening and just spiritual practice in general and uh I've just found it like to be so much more reliable. Um, you know, even if it hurts in the body, like, you know, just even from like a heart or anxiety type thing, it's, and it's changing of course too. So it's, I'm not saying it's reliable in the sense that it's like not changing or solid or anything like that, but it's, it's like changing in a way um, and, and being felt in a way that is just so much more just reliable because it, it doesn't have the complexity of, of the mind, right? Where it can really be in trying to investigate, um, 
causes the conditions, for instance. It's more of this sort of honest um, thing that you can anchor in. And, and I guess in a way, it's like maybe symbolic of like accepting change in general, you know, like the f- change of feeling in the body um, without having the flood, for instance, you know, kind of the, the, the mind flood um, take its own course. So, you know, <laughs> like everything else, it's like um, I, I felt like when I had a very deep experience around this understanding, I wanted to just like keep using it. And it's like a lot of my emotional pain was relieved. And I remember going to Mark and being like, I don't know how to like relate to the world anymore. It's like the pain opened me so much and I felt so like connected to everyone that, um, yeah, he, I mean, he had recommended, uh, just sort of, um, uh, looking, you know, investigating in permanence or something like that, that just, you know, helps with heart opening. So, um, yeah, so that, I guess that was just some comments about um, your, you know, um, reflections on on the heart intelligence. I really like that that um, yeah, that yeah. kind of na- that label. So thank yeah, you. I found it really useful myself. I think it's just so, at least in my mind, maybe I tend to be intellectual, so it's just been so useful to have that frame and that articulation just to see how it's just like it's the for me and I think for a lot of people it's the go-to thing it's like um yeah and just you know and in spiritual circles too like just how often are we just trying to figure it out and have it and keep it and own it and uh and what is that based in and not to but just to see it for what it is it's not about judging it but like and I just yeah I just really have a better sort of radar for um, whenever my mind is trying to fix an emotional problem with a conceptual view like I feel somewhat insecure somewhat so I'm going to think about something and have a view or or solve this, but it never works. It's because it's not on the, the right level. But and then to see to have more direct experience of um, on the heart level, on the body level, yeah, that things can be released or they can be felt and met with compassion. And like you're saying, that it's it's a reliable and useful place for mindfulness and for kindness to connect with because it's real and it's changing, it's alive, the body's alive, it's feeling, it may not always be feeling good, but it's always feeling something and there's a lot of information there. It's like this relationship-based, you know, it's, it's a relationship. Everything is always a relationship there is no objective reality or there's no like you know figuring something out even though it might in social circles having something smart to say you know it like 
we have a lot of social conditioning to be right and to, you know, to be solid as a self. But this is where that truthfulness is coming in. Well, what do I really want? Do I, am I really interested in peace? Am I really interested in openness and, and presence and sensitivity, like that tender, vulnerable place of the present moment where we don't really know what's going on? But we know we're here. We know I feel like this. We know that when I look at you, I sense some sensitivity. I sense some vulnerability like me, and I feel just a very natural, empathic empathy. It's like, why, why don't we live there? Because it's not what we're used to. It's not what we're used to finding ground. But we can start to learn to be more comfortable there with these paramis because the paramis are what give us the kindness like to just, yeah, all those paramis to support us in that place. And it's in a really alive place. There's a lot of energy there. It's not a place, it's this. Just when the mind isn't caught up in trying to define anything but more interested in relationship. Thanks, Mike. I think we have to leave it. It's 8.32. Thanks, everybody. Let's just take a moment to let go of the words and appreciate being here together. we can, touching into any goodness of our intentions and being here together and this interest in practicing, not just for our own benefit, but because it has clarifying and useful effects for those we love or those we don't know this wish to understand, to be in alignment with nature, to not contribute to suffering, to heal what's confused, agitated, or at least to be real, to be intimate as a starting point, and the strength that comes from that. So dedicating any goodness from our gathering for the benefit of all beings. May all beings be free from suffering and the roots of suffering. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.